1: You're listening to Away with Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett
2: and I'm Martha Barnett and I've been delving into some wonderful slang in a field that's new to me and I wonder if you can guess oh, what I'm talking guess about. Guess
1: the field or the yes. meanings of the slang or everything?
2: Guess the field first oh, wait, let's, of all. Let's hear okay. It. Here are three examples of slang from this field. Glass off, speck out, and get flushed.
1: Is it water testing?
2: Water testing. Is it
1: um, telescopes? Is it mm. astronomy?
2: Uh, astronomy <laughs> is in the it, general is direction there. People thereof. who make
1: eyeglasses, optometrists.
2: Uh, no, no. Uh, this. Just,
1: I heard spec and I heard glass. That's what I'm thinking. Those things. This is something
2: I did recently that you know about.
1: Can we talk about that on the
2: air? <laughs> <laughs> Not that thing.
1: <laughs> I don't know. What is it?
2: The terms "glass off," "spec out," and "get flushed." are used when you go paragliding, which I did. Oh,
1: that's awesome. It
2: was so much fun. You jumped off a cliff. I literally jumped off a cliff. That's what they tell you to do, is go running off a cliff. And this is <laughs> these are 300-foot cliffs uh, right there at the ocean's edge. Into the, the Pacific Pines, Ocean. Yes, Torrey Pines Glider Port. I wanted that sensation of running off a cliff. And it's a tandem situation. So I had an instructor yeah. uh, with me. And you have this. It looks like a parachute, but they call it a glider. Mm -hmm. And you um, go running off into the wild blue yonder, and then you float around. Not
1: motorized, just using the currents of the wind.
2: Just using those thermals, floating on the thermals. So the term glass off... Yeah describes a lovely, glassy, smooth lift, which is exactly what we had. It's, oh, so it's,
1: a take-off that's glassy. Yeah, oh, okay.
2: yeah. According to the United States Hang Gliding and Paragliding Association, in the dinner menu of flying conditions, glass-off is creme brulee.
1: So you had that?
2: I had that, wow. and it was, it was wonderful, just this gentle lift up into the sky and mm-hmm. over the sea. It's also called magic air, and to speck out, as you can imagine, is to climb to a great... Altitude, you know, oh, he really specked out.
1: Oh, so you have a good spectacle? Is that kind of no, what it's connected no. to? No, the
2: person looks like a speck. Oh, they specked out. You know, out. S-P-E-C-K. when they go really far oh, away. Oh, yeah. This whole
1: time I'm thinking SPEC, short for spectacle. No.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and the third one, flushed, uh, we talked about that a lot in the air. In fact, I got completely distracted when we were floating around. You know, I forgot to be scared because we started talking about slang. My, <laughs> my instructor Max and I started talking about paragliding slang, and we got flushed. Which means that you lose wind and you have to make a landing. And yeah. so instead of landing back at the top of the cliff, which you're supposed to at do, at the glider port, right at the glider port, we had to go down to the nude beach uh-huh. below, yeah. <laughs> which was which was fun. You know, there Black's were all these nude beach, right? people yeah. on Blacks Beach, and and we just fell out of the air very gently.
1: And it made somebody very happy. They weren't expecting to have a glider land in their lap. That they day. didn't seem to care. <laughs> no. They were
2: just sitting there, there a nude. Beach. What do they care? Yeah. But go
1: back to this. So you did this willingly. Nobody forced you to jump off the cliff with a little bit of fabric.
2: I wanted to know what that felt That's like. Great. Yeah, it was great. I highly recommend it.
1: We will post a link to a lot more of this language on the website. And Martha, do you have pictures or video to share? I do. With the world. I
2: have. Yes. 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 We'll do that do as that. well. You can yes. watch
1: Martha put her life at risk. <laughs> we'll put that on the website at waywardradio.org. You know, the world is filled with interesting hobbies and things you do on the side and the stuff that you do for fun, and I know there's lingo to it. Call us and share it. We love it. 877-929-9673. Or, heck, talk to us about language in any form or fashion. Send an email to words at waywardradio.org.
2: Hi, you have a way with words.
1: How you doing?
2: Doing well. Who's this?
1: This is Donnie Dinwiddie
3: from Virginia Beach, Virginia. Hi, Donnie. Welcome to the show. What's up? I've got a question for you. I'm a career roofer, and I've got a boss that pronounces it every time we have a meeting, a get together. He pronounces it roof. I would like to know, because the big joke is that we're roofers, not roof roofers like dogs. We don't bark like dogs. <laughs> so, what my question is is where did the where did that terminology roof? instead of roof come from? Is that <laughs> regional? or cause He's from the mountains of Virginia.
1: Oh, uh, yeah. And,
3: uh, okay. and he went to um, A- Auburn School, you know, so he's, I think that's in the south, deep south, right?
2: Oh, Auburn, Alabama?
3: Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah.
2: And where uh, are you from, Donnie?
3: I'm from Virginia Beach. Okay. okay.
1: Donnie, you say roof.
3: We are roofers, but he references us as roofers
1: roofers
3: How oh, nice yeah.
1: <laughs> is there anyone in the company that says it more like rough no he's the only
3: one that i've ever heard pronounce it roof
2: donnie what about your customers what do they say
3: because everybody calls us roofers i don't he's the he's the uh the office manager yeah he's oh, the okay. c he's the ceo of our division and he kind of got mad the other day when I told him why I was going to make Baker Roofing famous. And he said, oh, we're already famous. I said, no, I'm talking about Nationwide because I'm getting ready to go on uh, this talk, this NPR show. <laughs> oh, and I told him why. And he says, oh, you, you looking for a job, Mr. Dinwiddie? I said, I said no. That's why I call Prentice, which is our you know, our owner down in yeah. Carolina. Oh, you got some insurance, huh? I said, Yeah. <laughs> so it's been it's been a lot of fun, but he hasn't liked it at uh, all. Donnie
1: <laughs> Donnie Donnie. <laughs> all right,
2: let's break let's
1: break this down.
2: Let's talk some linguistics. First,
1: <laughs> first of all, most people do say roof in the United States. Yeah. All right. Roof. However, maybe ten percent to twenty percent say roof. It, wow. Yeah, it kind of it's kind of like the same vowel in foot. Yeah, it's so, a so roof. But also, some of these people also say root instead of root. Mm. Now, right, if, if right. you you know, uh, my father is one of those people who says roof and root. He says roof, really? roof, just like your boss. And so there,
3: where is he? Where is he from? Well, he's
1: from Southeast Missouri, and there are, there wow. are there are a large number of people in this country who are nodding their heads and agreeing with your boss's pronunciation right now.
2: (laughs) Yes, sir. There are a lot more of us. Every one
3: of them, tell them I'm not a dog. (laughs) But there is
1: another third group. So there's roof, I'm exaggerating the vowels, there's roof, and there's roof, and there's another third group that says roof. It's more of a uh. uh. It's even more of a yes. uh sound, a schwa sound. The jargon here is the common pronunciation of roof is a tensed vowel, and the the roof pronunciation is a lax vowel. And that's not a judgment on anybody's speech patterns or the, their ability to articulate well. It's just the jargon that we use to describe those vowels. Yeah, yeah. Props to you. You've got you've got stones to to challenge your boss on national radio.
3: That's what I'm known for <laughs>
1: at this company.
3: I, I like I say I've been here for 35 years, so I've done something right. Uh, being uh, a yes being sir. a smart aleck, you know. Yeah, it's keeping working. Keeping the company, <laughs> keeping the company on their toes, you know. Getting a little bit because like I tell them all the time. I'm not here to make a million dollars, but if I can get a laugh out of y'all. It
1: worked. It yep. worked. I got to yep. tell you, Donnie, <laughs> you, you've you just gone from a local treasure to a national treasure. We are That's so happy true. to talk to you on this show. <laughs> we, we really appreciate it.
2: You got to call us well, again sometime.
3: Thank you very, Take very care. much. Bye-bye. Appreciate it. All right. <laughs> bye-bye.
2: bye-bye. What's going on in your workplace when it comes to language? Let us know, 877-929-9673, or send us an email. That address is words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, my name is Chess.
4: I'm calling from Williamsburg, Virginia. Hi, Chess. Welcome. Yes. Chess, Thank like you. like the game? Like the game. Um, It's actually short for Francesca. Uh, ah, okay. got it.
2: Makes okay. a
5: lot
1: of sense. What can we do for yeah. you, Chess?
4: Um, So I grew up um, in a little bit of a rural area, but my mom um, wanted us to like really enunciate our words. Um, so that's why I don't really have the typical Southern Virginia accent, um, but my fiance does. And we always have an argument about how to pronounce it's a brown sauce starts with a W. I say it's pronounced Worcestershire and he always says that it's pronounced Worcestershire. and I just didn't know which one was correct. Or if there, if we're saying it correctly at all,
1: what? Who says it's pronounced Worcester Shire? Shire? Who says <laughs> that?
4: That? Would, that would be my fiance. You're,
1: Your fiance. Don't, do not marry this man.
4: <laughs> <laughs> don't do it.
1: Don't do it. It's a symptom of other problems.
4: <laughs> he says a lot of things incorrectly, though. So,
1: Chess, it's called a hypercorrection when people decide okay. that the spelling is what most needs to guide the pronunciation of a word. But the mm-hmm. problem is. The spelling follows usually is supposed to follow the the way we say it aloud. In some cases it doesn't apply at all. That word is so old, Worcestershire mm-hmm. is how you say it more or less. That word is okay. so old that you cannot use. The pronunciation is uh, the the spelling is a guided pronunciation. You just can't do it. Okay. Everybody knows that English doesn't really obey its spelling when it comes to pronunciation. Why would you think this word is an exception?
2: I have to say, this word has always intimidated me because of the spelling and the difficulty.
6: So
1: let's just spell it, just get clear on it. So it's W O R C E S T E R S -S 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 H I R E, right? Correct. Okay. So anybody from Massachusetts, they're all screaming Wooster into, into the phone because there is a town in Massachusetts, which is the first part of that without the shire, W R C E S T E R, that they pronounce mm. Wooster. 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 And there's a similar mm. towns, um, a town in the United Kingdom pronounced the, basically the same way. But we've got a couple of linguistic things happening here, including haplology, which is a word that I love, which is where two syllables that sound alike that are back-to-back kind of just become one syllable that sounds like that. And so that's happening here. And then we've got some uh, lenition or weakening of vowels, and we've got um, just basic history kind of chipping away at the form and structure and sound of the word. The Worcester part of it is really old. It goes back to like the Roman era, I believe.
2: Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, that's so really cool. Yeah, it's been around for a long time, but maybe the solution is just if you actually marry this dude just to avoid <laughs> that particular <laughs> sauce.
4: Uh, we typically do. He doesn't really like vinegar-based sauces.
1: Another so. reason not to marry the man. And I say this I say this as an advocate of vinegar and pickled things.
4: I agree. I, I I will, agree
1: I'll this. tell you, dictionaries aren't the perfect pronunciation guides, but they're really mm-hmm. pretty good for most things, and he will not find his pronunciation in any dictionary in the English-speaking world.
4: Wonderful. So I get to be right in an argument for once.
1: Hold it in reserve until you really need it, and then drop the bomb at an important time. <laughs>
7: I will.
4: I will. (laughs) Thank you guys so much. Yeah, Chess,
1: you know
2: we're kidding, right? (laughs) No, yeah, of course I do. Of course.
1: Yeah. All right. Take care. It was good to talk to you. Call us and let us know uh, other dumb things that he says, all right?
2: I I will. Yeah, once you're married.
6: (laughs) (laughs) Take care. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Bye, Bye,
2: Chess. Bye-bye. So what language dispute have you had with somebody special to you? Give us a call about it, 877-929-9673, or send it to us in email. That address is words at waywardradio.org.
1: More of what we say, why we say it, and how we say it, as A Way With Words continues.
2: Support for Away with Words comes from HelloTalk, a language exchange community where you chat with native speakers to practice any language. With the HelloTalk app, you can explore new cultures at HelloTalk.com/words. You're listening to Away with Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Martha Barnett.
5: And I'm Grant Barrett, and we're joined by our quiz guide, John Chinesky. Hi, John. Hi, Grant. Hi, Martha. Hi, John. What's going on? It's um, that time of year. You know what I mean. It's the time for limericks.
6: Oh, yes. Limericks. limerick's.
5: Based on news stories from 2017, okay? Mm -hmm. The past and the recent past. So I'll read you a limerick about something that happened in 2017. You finish it. You might need to supply one word, a phrase, a name, or something else. So here we go. My dependable British authorities say the royals have excellent qualities, like handsome Prince Harry, who announced he will marry, Meghan Markle, who hails from the... Colonies. Colonies,
2: Colonies.
5: Yes. (laughs) yes. Very good. Very nice. There once was a team that was cursed. Chicago Cubs were the worst. But in 16, they won. And the Astros, my son, in 17 took the series their first.
1: First.
5: Yes, their first. Way to go. What a great series that was. Yeah, fun. In France, from Marseille to the Seine, they held an election. And then, though might may make right, it was Macron that night who was mightier than Marine The pen. pen. The pen, yes. (laughs) From a Taiwanese factory comes a gift for your fidgeting chums, a spinning hand toy. But when I was a boy, we just sat there and... Twiddled our thumbs. Thumbs. (laughs) Twiddled our thumbs. (laughs) For free. This one was was a request. Film executives laboring under an archaic idea that to fund a box office hit, you need a Brad Pitt, were knocked out by a woman, a... Wonder. Yes. (laughs) Very nice. Oh,
2: excellent.
5: Alabama just could not endorse Roy Moore, and they voted in force. (laughs) Doug Jones took the seat, and to Roy they said, Beat it, go ahead and get back on...
2: Your horse. horse. Your (laughs) horse, yes.
5: If you're one of those constant deniers of climate change, here's some repliers. Most scientists say we're in a bad way, drought hurricanes, and increased... California, California fires. know <laughs> yeah, wildfires. Very good. Oh,
2: fires.
1: John, thank you for the quiz. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you, guys. Talk to you next week. Bye. <laughs> words and language and goofing around. And you know what? We know that you're a huge trivia fan. Maybe you got one you think you can stump us with. We promise not to Google it. Send it an email to words at weewardradio.org. Hello. Welcome to Away with Words.
8: Hey, how's it going? My name is Dave. I'm calling from Traverse City, Michigan.
2: Hi, Dave. Welcome to the show. Hello, Dave. What's up?
8: I uh, got into a funny situation here in the office uh, a few weeks ago. I was uh, telling a story about uh, my upbringing in southeastern Pennsylvania when I uh, used a term that stopped the, the, the conversation dead in its tracks amongst my colleagues. I was talking about um, my time as a youth um, enjoying the sliding board, Something that seemed very natural and very normal to me was obviously very strange um, to this group of Midwestern, North Northern Midwesterners that I work with. How
2: interesting! What do they call it?
8: After talking it over, everyone uh, agreed roundly that their preferred term was a slide, um, and um, and that is also familiar to me. Um, but I always assumed slide was just a, a shortening. Or an abbreviation of sliding board, which uh-huh. in my mind was always the more formal um, uh, word for this playground <laughs> implement. Right. Um, the the group uh, decided that sliding board was something that maybe was wooden or something that would result in a lot of splinters. Um, <laughs> so after much laughter and discussion, we we hashed out what what we were all kind of talking about, but the the question remained. Where the heck did sliding board come from?
2: Uh-huh. That's so interesting because that sounds perfectly normal to me. I grew up with a sliding board, but I believe, and I grew up in Kentucky, I believe Grant, who grew up in Missouri, called it a slide.
1: Just a slide, yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's very curious. But, but you see that term sliding board scattered around the country, uh, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Maryland, uh, places like that. Um, sometimes in the south it's called a sliding plank. But um, I'm a little surprised that your friends didn't, uh, didn't understand it.
8: It was unanimous, not really? a single person. Really? Uh, and we're in here, northern Michigan, not a single person had a clue. What that word meant? Not even in the ballpark. They were all thinking it was something not even playground related.
1: I want to go back to their their thought that it would mean splinters because have they never seen polished wood? Have they never slid down a wooden banister? <laughs> Are their childhood <sighs> self deprived? I, I,
8: I guess not. I must work with a bunch of uh, adventurous people. I think. <laughs> um, I think. Oh, and one other one other guess was that it was some kind of. Um, backboard or emergency equipment. Okay, um, sure. slide onto in case of an emergency of some
1: kind. No, it's it's like Martha said. It's just a slide. It's a long, hard, flat thing like a board. But I wouldn't be surprised if there were people who had wooden slides. So sliding board made a lot of sense because. Metal hasn't always been an inexpensive commodity.
2: Right. And when I was a kid, right. we
1: didn't even have this board. We, sl- I literally slid down the cellar roof just like in the song.
2: <laughs> you know, there's one other term for this uh, piece of playground equipment that you hear in mainly New Jersey and New York, and that's sliding pond. Yeah. And we're not sure oh. why. Some people think it may derive from slide upon.
1: But, but probably not. There's an idea that it might come from an old Dutch word, right? Yeah,
2: yeah that, that, again, has to do with sliding across a pond.
1: Right, sliding across a pond.
2: Yeah, but um, but it goes by lots of different names, but it's still fun, right? Right.
8: <laughs> well, that is really interesting, and that definitely helps clear it up. I, I know uh, everybody learned something, I think, in the office that day. Yeah. Well, yeah. You
2: know, please tell is, your yeah. colleagues that you're not a weirdo.
1: They just need to read more. They need to see the world more.
8: Everyone needs to get out to Philadelphia.
2: That's and, right.
1: Uh, and slide down a band. Pennsylvania language <laughs> that I grew up with. Dave, thank you so much for your call. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right. Take All care. Right. Bye-bye. Take care. All right. Bye-bye.
0: Hello. You have a way with words. This is Dana Lachance from Fort Worth, Texas.
1: Hi, Dana. Welcome to the show.
0: Hi, Grant. Thank you.
6: It's good to be
0: on. Great to have you. What's up, Dana? I wanted to talk about my granddaddy. Um, he was really just an amazing man, kind of a... Renaissance guy, uh born in eighteen ninety six. So that when I was growing up he was already an older gent, um very oh dapper and and just full of life, uh, twinkle in his eye all the time. And he was just um he was the king of sayings, you know.
2: Mm-hmm. do
0: Don't take any wooden nickels or, you know, the old gray mare just ain't what she used to be. I mean, he always had something. Mm -hmm. But as he got older, there was one saying that he used to say that just baffled me, and it was, you live and learn, then you die and forget it all. And I remember that most specifically because it was so profound. Even at my young age, I was 12 13 and it was unlike anything he had ever said before and i hadn't heard it since and i was wondering if it were a granddaddy original or where it had
2: come from you live and learn and then you die and forget it all that's it and
1: when would he say this when it was a something had happened that had taught somebody through hard experience
0: you know Grant, that is a very interesting question that since I have called y'all, I have pondered on. And indeed, it was as he got older and the twinkle was a little less. And I think it started maybe when my mom started getting sick. Mm-hmm. And he didn't... It, it, things had changed. Yes. Yes.
1: So for him, does that it was, make sense? Yes, it does. So it was about an acceptance of uh, it's kind of almost um, it is what it is. It's kind mm-hmm. of a, an acceptance that things will just happen and uh, all you can do is experience it and try to draw some lessons from it and move forward.
0: Well, you know what actually, it was I never really got it until twenty years later. I mean, he had been gone for 20 years, y'all, and suddenly it hit me. You live and learn and you die and forget it all. I think it means just how trivial this life really is. Ah, yeah.
1: That would make Mm -hmm. a lot of sense. Does that make sense? It Mm -hmm. does, and it plugs in nicely to what I found when I was researching this phrase. There are places where people had theological disputes about it. The argument that you would forget it all isn't necessarily in agreement with a lot of theological traditions because um, that assumes that there is no afterlife uh, that you would not carry your worldly knowledge into the to the this other afterworld, um, right? So there is something kind of um, almost uh, saying that there is no there's no second chance. There is no afterlife if you're saying that you're going to forget it all,
0: or it's just not. That important. Right, right. Mm-hmm. That
1: said, this saying isn't only your grandfather's. It goes back at least to the 1840s. You can find it pop up here and there. A lot of times it's quoted as if it's a well-known saying, but nobody gives the source. And we find many different versions of it. Um, live and learn is a lot older live and learn goes back to i believe the 1600s but the live and learn and then die and forget it all is is much newer than that
2: it reminds me of so many articles i've read about people who are either on their deathbed or toward the end of their life Mm -hmm. and when they're talking about their main regrets one of the biggest ones is they say i just wish i hadn't worried so much oh yeah you know, why oh. just don't worry so much? And it sounds like that's what you're saying, too, Dana. Yes. There's
0: so many things you can just let go of, mm-hmm. you know. And and I just, I've never heard it since, since my grandfather said it, though.
6: Mm-hmm.
0: And I just uh, found it I just comforting, profound,
6: mm-hmm. something
0: mm-hmm. to ponder on.
6: hmm
0: Yeah. And as you Grant know, says,
2: it has quite a history to it. Mm-hmm.
0: That's great. I knew, uh, I mean, uh, like I said, I mean, granddaddy had been so many things, a soldier in the First World War, a barber, a school teacher, a banker. I mean, just he had been everything and done so much. And to hear him say something like that, you had to really think about it when it came out of his mouth. Well, it's know? clear that
1: you idolized him, Dana, and I'm so happy uh, that you shared the memories with us.
0: You bet. Thank y'all so much, and y'all have a good one. I appreciate
2: ya. Bye-bye. Okay, you too. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. What are the words and phrases that have been handed down in your family? We'd love to hear about them. You can call us at 877-929-9673 or send them an email to words at waywardradio.org. Mm-hmm. Our discussion about being both anxious and nervous at the same time. Yeah, we had
1: an adorable little girl on the show who was mm-hmm. asking for a word for that.
2: Mm-hmm. And we heard from Chris Ball in Melbourne, Australia, who reminded us that in Australia they use the term toe. And Chris says, when I think of the word, I can feel my toes moving in my shoes and that butterfly sensation coming up through my knees and beyond, all the way to the tummy the sort of feeling that comes with your wedding day or starting a new job or your first time down a water slide, any leap in the dark.
1: Well, Australia's got a word for it. They do. Toey. Toey. So it's being anxious and excited altogether.
2: Anxious and excited altogether, and it may have to do with a horse who's impatient. You know, right,
1: right. To... The, the hooves are like digging in the dirt. Yeah. Hit us up on Twitter at W-A-Y-W-O-R-D.
2: Hello, you have a way with words. Hello. Hi, who's
6: this? My name is Liz Worthy, calling in from Huntsville, Alabama. Oh, welcome to the show. How can we help you, Liz? Thank you. I had a question, so I was listening to your show, um, and it made me think of something that I thought was a little odd in terms of language when I moved to the U.S. I'm originally from Scotland, and one of the things that happens when you're living in Scotland is sometimes your grandmother will send you off to the store to buy some messages. And I didn't really realize that there was anything unusual about that until I moved to the U.S. And then I would say that and people would be completely confused about what I was talking about.
2: Oh, you would go to the store to buy some messages.
1: Your grandma would send you for messages.
2: Okay. Yes. And and when you were sent for messages, what did you come back with?
6: So normally when you were sent for messages, you would get a piece of paper with a grocery list. And you would hopefully come back with all the things that were on it and some sweeties for yourself. Some sweeties for yourself. <laughs> <Of course. laughs> yeah, and so you didn't hear
2: that when you were when you moved to Alabama.
6: No, uh, or Seattle, or Wisconsin, or any of the other places in the U.S. that I've lived.
1: I'm not surprised that you didn't encounter it in any of those places. It does exist. The it shows up in several different dictionaries as being a very Scots thing, but it also through the the number of Scots who have traveled around the world and moved to different places, it now shows up as as well in New Zealand and in some of the Caribbean dialects of English. And uh, the Irish do it to a smaller degree. And the path that it took for messages to mean things that you pick up when you're running errands or groceries that you bring back is actually pretty straightforward If you go back to the early days of messengers who would actually literally take a message, you know, some kind of communication, sometimes verbally, but sometimes on paper. And so the idea that they were delivering a piece of paper soon kind of got rounded up into the notion that they were just running general errands. So they might not only deliver a piece of paper, they might deliver a a trinket or a token of respect or a a, a literal package and so before long you can find this in the printed record it's really interesting you start to see i sent so-and-so out for messages and it might be that they went to take some things to somebody else some things that weren't even notes or words or it might be that they went to get some things and to bring them back
6: so in scotland it's it's quite specific to groceries Mm -hmm. so were you able to tell in the caribbean is it also groceries or is it you know, DIY supplies. <laughs> well, it's
1: interest, It's interesting. In Scotland and Ireland, for sure, it's always plural. You wouldn't go out mm-hmm. for a message. You go out for messages. And it does right. usually tend to be the groceries, although I see some evidence in uh, fiction, although fiction writers could have been taking some liberties where messages sometimes are they went to get a variety of um, dry goods or maybe went to pick up um, a takeout order from a restaurant that sort of thing but there was always the idea that it wasn't just the one thing there were a bunch of things that you were doing and you were going to come back after mm. they were all done but in the caribbean they, it's it's usually singular where it's used at all i've seen mm. evidence in jamaica and trinidad um, so you might say i'm going to collect the message from the shop or the message was too heavy to lift, and in both cases, the message is some kind of some kind of thing that you might buy at the corner store, or the grocery store, or the the pharmacy, the drugstore.
6: That's cool. And we used to also say, um, you know, when you came back with those uh, candies, you would often say that you had a little skin off the top of the messages, <laughs> which was a little bit for yourself. So, it, you know, it's funny now that I live in the U.S., all of these Scottish things that were just Taken for granted, or I think about them more often. Yeah, so I, I um, really appreciate it. That's great.
1: Yeah, so that was a little skin off, S K I N, or skim, S K I M. A skin
6: mm. with an
1: N. Oh, like this, uh, okay. like the skin off the top of a of a of a cream or something, or a pudding.
2: Yeah, hot milk or something. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank
6: you very much for answering my driving along the road question. Liz,
2: thank you so much for calling. Well,
6: thank you very much.
1: Take care right. now. Bye bye.
6: Take care. Bye bye.
2: Eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. Maybe everybody knows this term, but I just learned it, al-desco. Do you know this term? (laughs)
1: Yes. If you eat al-desco, it's when you eat your lunch at your desk. That's right. (laughs) Don't do that.
2: Get up. At least go to the conference room.
1: It's not healthy. But
2: sometimes you can't help it. But what I didn't realize was that that term has been around since the 1980s, and I've had plenty of times when I've dined (laughs) al-desco, that is al. Separate word, D E S K O, Aldesco. And
1: it's playoff of Al fresco, which yeah. is outdoors. Yeah, yeah, but
2: I'm dining Aldesco. Yeah,
1: I, you know it's funny. I should look that term up and find the history of it because it has the sound of this funny little term that'll mm-hmm. never last. But here we are talking about it thirty or forty <laughs> years later. Eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. More about language seen through the lens of family, culture, and history as A Way With Words continues.
2: Support for Away with Words comes from a gift honoring students of the San Diego Community College District. City College, Mesa College, Miramar College, and continuing education prepare them for jobs, personal goals, and transfer to universities. SDCCD.edu.
1: You're listening to Away with Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett.
2: And I'm Martha Barnett. A new study suggests that reading information in a foreign language can suppress common superstitious beliefs about that information. Researchers from three European universities had people read imaginary scenarios either in their native language or in a foreign one, and they were asked to imagine doing a particular action, like submitting a job application or taking an exam, under circumstances that might lend themselves to being superstitious. For example, they were asked questions involving bad luck, like this one. Imagine that you have an important exam and you feel nervous before you enter the university building, you accidentally walked under a ladder. How would you feel about taking the exam? Or, for example, you might uh, go to an airport and you're about to take off, and then you realize it's Friday the 13th. Does mm-hmm. that? How does that make you feel? Or in the case of a good luck scenario, one of their questions was, imagine that you have an important job interview and you feel really nervous, but before the interview, you try to relax at a park and you find a four-leaf clover in the grass. Mm-hmm. How do you feel going into the job interview? And what was really interesting, Grant, was that overall, the researchers found that when people read about those scenarios in a foreign language, they felt less... Less negative about the bad luck scenarios, and they felt less positive about the good luck scenarios. So in other words, it appears that reading about either potential good luck or bad luck situations in a foreign language actually suppressed those superstitious feelings.
1: So their subjects were at least bilingual, mm-hmm. and so they asked them... First in their native tongue and then in their acquired language.
2: Yes, and this was a written questionnaire, Mm -hmm. and it was also people who learned the language in a classroom, the foreign language in a classroom.
1: So do they have any theories on why it's like this?
2: Yeah, they think that superstitions tend to be acquired early in life just like your native language Mm -hmm. tends to be uh, acquired early in life. And you pick up those beliefs when you're young. And so reading in your native language evokes those beliefs Mm -hmm. in a way that reading in a foreign language that you learn later on doesn't. And... I don't really know what to make of this study, although it's part of a body of research now where people are more willing to talk about something embarrassing for Mm -hmm. a longer period of time if they're talking in a foreign language. And people are more willing to swear in a foreign language than their native language.
1: That's interesting. So there's something here about the trappings of a word that go beyond just basic meaning. Mm-hmm. So the word as a sound structure in the mind and the mouth has attachments to it.
2: Right, right. Associative memory, mm-hmm. in other words. That's right. I remember that the the one time that I had couples therapy in Spanish, I was so much more expressive. It was a really great session because, because I was speaking in Spanish with more primary mm-hmm. colors and less nuance and... Um, I highly recommend (laughs) trying therapy in a foreign language. And if
1: you're not fluent in that foreign language, you might not have the subtlety where you can kind of get these... uh have these second and third kind of currents of meaning underneath what you're saying? Kind exactly. Of, you're kind of stuck with one meaning. Exactly. It was a great exercise for
2: me. So where was this? It's called Breaking Magic: Foreign Language Suppresses Superstition, and it's in the Quarterly Journal of Experimental Psychology.
1: So we'll post a link to more information about that on the website. If you've got questions about language, this is the place. It can be slang, new words, old expressions, an argument about usage, argument about spelling something your kid said that was funny, a book you like, a book you recommend. 877-929-9673. Email words at org, or tell us on Twitter at W-A-Y-W-O-R-D. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi,
7: this is Susan. I'm calling from San Antonio, Texas.
1: Hi, Susan. Welcome to the show.
7: I'm calling about a question I had that came up at work the other day. Uh, I work for a uh, restaurant and gifts gift shop chain and uh, part of our duties if we have a return we have to sign a piece of paper saying that we help the customer and uh, i said to a co-worker uh there was a paper laying there and i said i need you your john henry on this paper and uh we were in a group and and she just said to the other person susan's asking me for my john henry
5: uh but
7: it made me wonder about the phrase and where it came from, and. Uh, I could have run home and looked on Google and checked it all out, but I I follow your show,
9: so I thought, well, I'll just ask you guys.
2: And here we are. (laughs) Yeah, you know, most people say, put your John Hancock here. Have you ever heard him (gasps) say that? No, you know,
7: I haven't.
1: Oh, Oh, really? Because he's the guy with the beautiful, huge signature
2: Mm Mm-hmm. Right, right. On the Declaration mm-hmm. of Independence, the first guy to sign it, and he wrote in really <laughs> big letters and said something to the effect of, King George should be able to read that, or something like that. <laughs> you know, and All you right, s- how wonderful. Yeah, and you see that big old signature when they when they have ads for the John Hancock Insurance Company, I mm. think. But And um, I have seen that, yes. Yeah, okay. Um, so most people say, put your John Hancock there, meaning put your signature there. Um, but the thing is that the that the phrase, put your John Henry there, is also used by more people than just you. It's not just a one-off uh, by any oh. means. Uh, but, uh-huh. but the uh, John Hancock phrase is far more common. Both of them go back to the early 20th century. But uh, oh. who do you think of when you think of John Henry?
7: Well, immediately I thought, you know, it must be a historical figure. And I even thought that it might be somebody that had signed either the Declaration of Independence mm. or a document of some kind.
8: Mm. Uh,
2: but then I thought, well, I'm
7: not sure how sharp I am on my real history anymore.
2: Well, do you remember those folk songs about John Henry was a steel-driving man, that really strong guy That's who the one I think helped of. build the railroads back in the late 1900s? A man
1: ain't nothing but a man.
2: Yeah, when John Henry was a little baby. Wow, I, I kind of remember that that's a little bit.
1: Oh, there's some really good versions of it on YouTube. I bet. Um, I know Woody Guthrie has covered it, and uh, yeah, pretty much every folk us. singer of any yeah. note has done the version of the song. Yeah,
2: yeah. So you're not alone. Oh. But the oh, far- well, that's good to know too. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Susan. We're glad to have you. Thank
7: you, and I'll look up that song. Thanks very much. Bye. Okay. Bye, Susan. Bye, bye. Send your
2: emails to words at waywardradio dot Another term I learned after going paragliding is Qs, C U apostrophe
1: S. That's an abbreviation for something?
2: Yes, also known as cumies, also known as cumulus clouds, mm-hmm. because they're indicators of a good lift. You can you can get some altitude that way. And uh, if you have a line of cumies, that's mm-hmm. known as Cloud Street.
1: Oh cloud street. Isn't How that nice great? is that? I wanna live on Cloud Street.
5: I know, right? <laughs>
1: Hit us up with the slang from your hobby or pastime on Twitter at W-A-Y-W-O-R-D, or tell us an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hey, this is David Malkey from just up the coast in Los Angeles. Hi, David. Welcome to the show. Hi, David. Thank, thanks so much. Glad to talk with both of you. What can we do for you?
10: Well, I thought you might be interested in something that my mom used to say, and still does say, um, and she is a good church-going lady who does not like swearing. And in fact, she would always say that when people swore, it would be distracting for her because people who swear, she would say, don't know this how much they swear, and people who don't swear do know this how much they swear. So it sort of creates an effect that, is, that was less than complimentary. Uh, and so what she would do is that she has uh, her own word that she would say when she is frustrated, which is piffle. And uh, I would spell that P-I-F-F-L-E. So if she's uh, you know, working on something and something goes wrong, she'd go, oh, piffle. Uh, and so I didn't know if that was a word that she made up or if that was just uh, some sort of an old-timey you know, minced oath of some sort. Um, but the thing that she always liked about it was that she was able to provoke the opposite reaction in other people uh, because, as she would say, uh, I would get more funny looks with a good piffle than any swear word I could have said,
2: absolutely. I agree with her, and plenty of people use the word piffle, particularly I associate it with Britain,
1: yeah, me too. I don't no. think oh, really? it's very American I mean it's definitely used in the United States, but I do yeah. I, for me, it's marked as british,
2: yeah, but it's it's been around since at least the late nineteenth century piffle and probably comes from just it's sort of onomatopoetic, poetic, you know just pff, piffle yeah. just.
10: <laughs> like the, the s- it's got that plosive sound that lots of good swear words do. Well, and
1: also, but it's got the thing where you're kind of like, like it's a noise of disgust, like pfft.
10: Sure, sure, sure. Well, so I wonder if she may have picked it up from watching, you know, Masterpiece Theater or something like that. She was always a big reader, big PBS fan. Yeah,
2: it could could have been. And and there was actually a show back in uh, the mid-2000s called Balderdash and Piffle. You can actually (laughs) um, find—it's a wonderful program that uh, was on the BBC uh, that involved the editors of the Oxford English Dictionary asking the public to help them find the first— citations or the first examples of different words in uh, the dictionary, like or like earlier examples than what they have, the origins of those oh, wow. words. Yeah. And you can find those on YouTube. They're, they're a lot of fun. But piffle is, I think, a wonderful word. I just ran into somebody recently who says, instead of a curse word, they just say, bad word. Which I think again, <laughs> like piffle stops down whatever's going on and calls attention to itself mm-hmm. much more than a curse word does. I think it's more effective
1: Well the,
10: well so, so that's interesting because in, in what you just said and also what my mom said implies that part of the purpose of swearing is to provoke a reaction mm. in a listener,
2: which I think is only you
10: know a secondary, consideration, you know, because otherwise we wouldn't swear when we were alone.
2: Right. Um, that makes you feel better, too.
10: Well, yeah, absolutely. It feels like there's some emotional release a, is associated with it, but maybe if you put a big importance on the notion of swearing, then people reacting to what you're doing is also more important to you.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. I agree with you, David. There, are, There's definitely the demonstrative use where you're performing the word right. in order to draw attention to yourself or to the circumstances. But then there's the utterly ordinary linguistic Typical semantic use of it where it's just part of your speech and part of your vocabulary. Um, and I would argue that a really skilled cursor um, is more of the latter and less of the former. Mm-hmm. <laughs> people, I would agree. People mm-hmm. that you've known who can really just reel out the four letter words um, often don't care at all if they have an audience. It's just part of their discourse.
10: I would agree that, you know, words that There are always words that some people might object to, but it doesn't mean that they're less useful words, you know, if they are part of your language. So
8: um,
10: I I think in my mom's case, um, because she was because she noticed when other people would swear, she took it upon herself to demonstrate in the opposite way so that. You know, Provided she was sort example. of putting a stake down for not swearing,
2: mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But if she got up in the middle of the night and stubbed her toe, would she say piffle?
10: Oh, a hundred percent, absolutely. Really? Wow. Absolutely. Even I if think no so. One was yeah. Listening.
1: Great. Wow. Re- great restraint.
10: <laughs> well, I, yeah, I just think it's you know, for, for for her and the way she was raised and the sort of, you know, the moral compass such as it is that happens to include swearing, in you know a. Tighten it, you know, church going family or what have you. I feel mm-hmm. like those things get ingrained at a certain point. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's... you can ingrain the piffle habit as much as you can ingrain the cursing habit. <laughs> David, thank you so much for your call. We really appreciate it. Well,
10: I appreciate you looking into it. Thanks for for all the insight.
1: Yeah, sure.
2: sure. Take care. 877-929-9673. 877-929-9673. Here is another term I learned from paragliding, and this is a real term. Okay, yeah. Biwingual.
1: <laughs> Does this mean you also have your pilot's license?
2: Well, it means you also have your hang gliding chops. Oh,
1: and these if, are different, to be yes. clear. Okay, great. Yes, yes. Different equipment.
2: Paragliding is, is that sort of... It's Double like a shape. rainbow
1: of fabric kind of held up by the air, yeah. right? And then a hang gliding is like the almost paper airplane-shaped thing with a rigid frame, Yes,
2: right? yes, you're sort of lying on gotcha. that. But, but if you're biwingle, you, you go both it. ways. Biwingle.
1: eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. Hello, welcome to Away With Words.
9: Hi, this is Sarah Hickson.
1: Hi, Sarah, where are you calling from?
9: I'm calling from Pierote, Alabama
1: what's going on what do you want to talk about
9: i wonder what in the world does this expression mean i'm just happy as larry my sister uses that and i don't remember in my childhood ever hearing it but she's used it for many years and i just i don't know anybody who's heard of happy as larry
2: happy as larry meaning very happy yeah Everything is just fine. Uh huh. And Sarah, do you have any idea where she might have picked that up?
9: Well, um, my best guess would be England. My mother was British, and it, my sister has spent a lot more time in England than I have, and actually married an Englishman. So that's where our experiences differ.
2: Okay, well, bingo. Yes. (laughs) Yes, that's a word that we associate with uh, the UK, with Britain and Australia and New Zealand. Yeah, very much in Australia, yeah. Yeah, yeah. happy as Larry, meaning extremely happy, but uh, nobody knows who Larry is or was.
1: Or why he's so happy.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Oh.
1: But as soon as you said that your sister had this history, this connection to England, our eyes lit up, because that's what we were waiting for.
2: Yeah, and there are lots of different theories about who Larry might be, but none of them are are really satisfying. I kind of like the theory that that the idea is that it's happy as Lazarus, because that's been a, a phrase that's been around longer than Happy as Larry. So it's, biblical
1: Lazarus who came back from the dead. I would
2: be pretty. Well, yeah, happy. he had something to be happy about. <laughs> yeah. Yes, he does. Yes, he does indeed. <laughs> right, and I could see just just making that kind of jocular, um, and it's been around uh, uh, at least a hundred years longer than Happy as Larry, which it goes back to the beginning of the turn of the last century.
1: I I like, and again, I can't prove it, but I like the rhyming slang idea that originally it was very happy. Rhymed with Larry happy, and then became Harry. Or, or happy as Larry. Very <laughs> <Larry> lappy. <laughs> happy as Harry. You know. So, so I that's like that so one. But again, cool. very little evidence to prove that that's the source of it. We don't know why Larry's happy, but we do know the UK connection is a really strong one, and we're glad that you mentioned that.
9: I, I wish I had more answer about it, but that looks like that's it. Huh? That's, yeah,
2: that's pretty much Blastard. it. I'm, I'm wondering if you use it with other folks there in town.
1: And what do they think?
9: Well, people that I use it with don't know what it means, hadn't hadn't ever heard it before.
2: Mm-hmm. Not so that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, Sarah, I really appreciate your calling us. Call us again sometime, all right?
9: I'll do that. Thank you so much. Take Good care. to talk Thank to you. you. Bye-bye. Thanks, Grant. Sarah.
2: Bye bye. Bye bye. Eight seven seven nine
9: two nine nine six seven three.
2: Another example of paragliding slang, the locals.
1: The locals. You know what Uh, the locals are? Is it like the muggles of the paragliding world? The people who don't glide? Who don't
2: glide? No, the locals are birds.
1: Oh, (laughs) The creatures born with wings.
2: Right, right. And if you see them flying then you know that the thermals are working well and and you you can go flying. You run, get your
1: gear and get up there. Yeah,
2: when I was paragliding um, my instructor said, look down. And I did. And there was a bird flying underneath <laughs> with my feet it was crazy 877 <laughs> 929-9673 Grant and I are out to change the way we listen and think about language, and you're making it happen.
1: Thanks also to senior producer Stephanie Levine, director and editor Tim Felton, director Colin Tadeshi, and production assistant Emma Kelman in San Diego.
2: In New York, we thank quiz guy John Chinesky and that master of keeping it real, Paul Ruist at Argo Studios.
1: Away with Words is an independent production of Wayward Inc.
2: From the Recording Arts Center at Studio West in San Diego, I'm Martha Barnett.
1: And I'm Grant Barrett. So long. Bye-bye.